morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock and I am your host on Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here at the Nahum Seal Network. And two more weeks left till the season, huh? This week, next week, and then it's uh, encore time here, I guess. Which doesn't mean you should tune away, by the way. Great content all year round. I'll try to choose the uh, the best of the best, if you will. <clears throat> try to play this a little bit longer during like the World Cup. You know, this song, I think I said this last week, comes from, I want to say the 2010 World Cup. It was the main song. And we're back in World Cup season. So why not give it a bit more of a shout out? All right, you hear my voice. It's been a tough, uh, tough few days here. You heard me on After Further Review. Where I think I sounded better, at least. And now you hear me today where I don't sound better. All right. Hey, what's two hours? All I got to do is talk for two hours. Nothing worse for the throat than that, huh? So we'll do a quick opening. We have a few interviews to get to today. And uh, <clears throat> before you know it, it'll be 11 a.m. And we'll be until Rami's live launch. But something interesting happened to me last week. And I thought it was... Uh, just a, a, one of those regular, I don't want to say a regular thing that happens every day, but it's something that happened, what hap- What you could learn out of it is something that, that happens every day. You don't know it, you might not see it like that, but you could really learn um, just nice messages, right, on an everyday basis, and this was one of them. I was on a bus coming actually from work, from the Lower East Side, and, and where we're situated in the Lower East Side, it, it's about a 10, 12-minute walk to the subway. So there's a bus right here. You could take the bus, and okay, it takes five minutes. And it's, you know, when it's hot outside, it could certainly be more enjoyable than walking. So I'm on the bus, and you know, we're it, it's a pretty packed bus, and usually it's not so packed because we're literally at the beginning of the route. But <clears throat> pretty packed bus, and there are a few people standing. And there's a pretty solid stretch of where the bus could go, you know, decently fast, past the light to get to the next stop. So he's going in his decently past, fast, you know, relatively normal. And then all of a sudden he takes a short stop. And I'm sitting, I don't know if you know New York City buses, but there's a elevated four seat situation separated. There's and there's like a, a stop, the stop button, like one of those little poles in the middle of it. And there's someone on the right of that four seat situation and I'm on the left of it. And the bus suddenly stops, quick stop, slams on the brakes and I slide almost into that person. I catch myself on that pole and hold myself. But there, there, you know, even some elderly people that were standing up, they fall, right? And the whole bus, everyone, if, if you're in a seat, you kind of, if you're in a seat, you know, facing the front, you, you, your head went straight and you had to hold yourself. You, had, you slid, you fell, you might have hit your head. So there's a sudden stop. And, you know, so everyone kind of gets up and then yelling ensues and there's yelling and people are yelling at the bus driver and no one knows what's going on. It's just a lot of yelling, a lot of looking around. One minute passes by. So now we're at a red light. And then on the green, the bus, the bus goes to the side. You know, he, he goes past the light, goes to the side and stops and gets out of the thing. And for this minute, everyone's yelling and there's cursing out the driver and this and that. What the heck? Why are you speeding? This and that. And the bus driver gets up and, you know, people start yelling. He goes, guys, 
I want to make sure everyone's okay. I apologize. Everyone's like, well, like what, like what, what, why'd you? And the driver says, there was a car in front of me, supposed to be going straight, and he slammed and he stopped short to try to make a U-turn. No signal, nothing. And that's what happened. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, sorry, we didn't see that. And, of course, you still have those people, like, yelling because they have nothing better to do. But I guess in this case, okay, like, they might have gotten hurt. It was dangerous, so I get it. Freaked them out. But a lot, most of the bus, 90% of the bus, changed their tune and said, "Uh, I apologize. Thank you. You know, the bus driver was nice enough. He had, everyone on the bus hated him, right? And and he, he got up. He said, I'm making sure everyone's okay on this bus. Please let me know if you're not. Thank God everyone was fine. <clears throat> but it's that whole idea of, right, jumping to conclusions, right? Maybe in a, in a way you could say judging a book by its cover. You see something for the first time. You just assume one thing and that's it, right? It was that person's fault. Who's the bus driver's fault? No. No. Something else happened. It wasn't the bus driver's fault. Now, should he be going going that fast? I mean, everything seemed legal, except for the person in front of him that suddenly stopped to try to make a U-turn in a, in a place that you shouldn't. Or certainly, that driver should not have been going fast to just suddenly stop and U-turn. So... Just another good reminder. Don't jump to conclusions. What you think may have happened, right? There's three sides to every story. In this case, there was really one, but everyone else assumed a different side. But you can't just assume whatever you think is right. You can't. You just can't. So, uh, you know, I commend the bus driver for what he did. How he handled it. He could he could have just went around, you know, went along with his business. Everyone's yelling at me, forget it. I'm not going to I'm not gonna deal with it. <clears throat> no, but instead he got out with everyone hating on him. And said, I, I apologize, guys. There was nothing I could do about it. And I tried my best to keep everyone safe. And I'm sorry if people ended up getting hurt or falling. And if anyone needs my help, let me know. But you know, I tried my best. And how quickly the bus's tone the bus's feelings change from that point on. So remember, just don't jump to conclusions. It's not good for anyone around. All right, let's see what's on this week's show. This week, we actually have two interviews from Joanna Shepson and one interview from Toba Knecht. So what we'll do is at 9.30, we will play the first interview. <clears throat> at 10 a.m., the second one, and at 10.30, we'll do Toba. So at 9.30 a.m., Joanna speaks to Caroline Shapiro. She's PR at the Tower of David. Again, that's at 9.30 or so. Then you'll hear more music. At 10 a.m., it'll be Joanna again with Alain from the Jerusalem Bird Observatory. So she'll speak to Alain there. At 10 a.m., more music. Then Tova Connects interview with Laura Ben-David, who uh, has a very interesting story from what I'm told. And uh, she's an author, journalist, photographer, Israeli advocate. So that's at 9... Uh, excuse me, that's at 10.30. And then uh, we'll see if we can get to the segment that has no name with Miriam Wallach. But again, that's how the show goes. 
Two more weeks left, so let's do things well here. Let's start things off today with Mahapecha Shel Simchan, a Wednesday on Bite Size right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים hey, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים Yeah. 
מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. והוא בורא עולם, הכוח של כולם שומע את קולי. אני מאמין בניסים, אני יודע שיש אלוקים. והוא בורא עולם, הכוח של כולם ישלח לי את הנס, ישלח לי את הנס שלי, יש לי סיב כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה. תמחיך עם בן אדם, יש לי סיב כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה.
And we are back hour number one, the bottom of hour number one. It's time for Joanna Shepson's interview with Caroline Shapiro. Does PR at the Tower of David. Here is Joanna with Caroline right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. So today I have the opportunity to interview Caroline Shapiro, who's actually been on the show with us before. Um, she runs the PR department in the at the Tower of David, and they have some really exciting summer activities going on, so I wanted her to share them with us. Good morning, Caroline. How are you? Great. Thank you, Joanna. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about the newest exhibit, London in Jerusalem. It's a, an exciting and interactive exhibition that complements the, the temporary exhibition that we have looking at Allenby, who entered the gates of Jerusalem in 1917. So London in Jerusalem looks at the time period that the British ruled the city, uh, 1918 to 1948, and it looks at all the cultural changes that takes place in the city. We talk about culture on the streets of Jerusalem during these years, and it's an incredible fusion of uh, cultures and traditions from the British, uh, in fact, also from Western European, uh, from local traditions. And uh, we find that through the use of film and photographs and all sorts of uh, wonderful displays, you can really go back in time a hundred years and uh, pretend that you're sipping tea yeah, with the Brits. So it's really interesting because I think for most of the listeners who've, who are out there who come to Jerusalem, you think of Jerusalem as like a coffee culture, uh, sitting out in coffee shops on the street in the Midrachov, and you just kind of associate that with Jerusalem and Israel. But really, what you learn in this exhibit is the influences that the British brought to Jerusalem to start that coffee culture. Um, one of my other favorite facts is about cinemas and movie theaters. Yes, the exhibition is split into five different sections. One of those sections is a recreated old cinema where people can actually watch uh, the original black and white movies such as The Wizard of Oz and Tarzan and advertisements that were filmed during that time period uh, in the exhibition. The other parts of the exhibition we've recreated a a salon, a a living room area uh, during those days in that uh, 30-year period. It was very um, uh, often that people had small musical interludes uh, and concerts in their living rooms that people came to hear, um, including actually famous artists. So we've got a reconstructed living room area. We've also got uh, recordings of the very first uh, radio broadcasts that were done. Um, through the uh, radio station there that was done in English, Hebrew and Arabic. And uh, we have... One of my favorite spots is the recreated Fink Bar. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, that's wonderful. So you talked about coffee houses and tea houses. Of course, the tea house Atara started during this time period. But it was also the time period that bars opened up in Jerusalem. And we have recreated the Fink Bar. The Fink Bar is probably the most famous institution uh, of that time period. Uh, People joke about having spies and soldiers uh, brushing shoulders together within that bar. And the curators, Liat Margalit and Inbar Drolax, went to the former owners of this bar, Fink's closed down 13 years ago, and began to ask them, all about uh, the legends and the stories that came out from the bar and a little bit of the background. And they said, well, wouldn't you like to see some of the 
uh, bottles and some of the things that we've had from Finks and of course they said yes we'd love to and and uh, what ended up being is the opening a treasure trove of uh, memorabilia from the bar and using a photograph the Tower of David managed to reconstruct the brown wood uh, bar and fill it with original artifacts from the uh, from the original bar uh, each and every one with a story there are pictures bottles melted candles the original till uh, all sorts of wonderful menus photographs um, we asked them if we could also have the magic recipe for the goulash uh, <laughs> but that still remains a secret <laughs> so actually I went to the opening event and we got to meet one of the bartenders who became the owner married um, the owner's daughter Correct. Um, so that was also exciting and I think another aspect of this um, exhibit is, for me, living in Jerusalem, um, I play a game with mostly actually my husband, but also my kids, where I show them some of the old pictures that are in the exhibit or in the brochure, in the catalog, and we try to figure out what location it is today. And and it's amazing. You can, like, there are some landmarks like the YMCA and certain landmarks in the city, and you can figure out, oh, you know that picture? That's actually right off Emigrofaim, or that's right near King David Street. Um, so I highly recommend ordering the catalog before you come to the exhibit. If you can, you can order it online as a book, which is a great coffee table book. Um, but you can also order an online version like a PDF version that you can read. Um, I personally read it over Shabbos. It was like like reading a novel. I loved it. Um, one more thing about this exhibit. the It's actually really appropriate that this exhibit take place in the Tower of David because one of the other aspects of this time period was turning historic sites into places where actual activities and attractions happen. So Sir Ronald Storrs, the governor of Jerusalem, um, in 1918 felt that it was very important that the Tower of David not uh, stop being a part of the military defence mechanism of the city but become a meeting point of cultures um, and of art and turned the Tower of David actually into an exhibition site and that's where Reuben Rubin for example had his first art exhibition uh, in fact, that time period in art became known as the Tower of David days. And we see that during this time period, there were all sorts of concerts, Chazanut concerts, uh, classical music concerts within the grounds of the Tower of David. And so it's a real uh, moment in time, a hundred years later, that the Tower of David uh, now once again, of course, hosts an exhibition that brings in people from all different backgrounds uh, to share in Jerusalem's um, splendid history. Fantastic. So I, as you can see, I, I definitely recommend this is one of the exhibits you should come out and see this summer. Um, just We have a couple more minutes left. Just can you tell me something about the new Rock, Paper, Scissors exhibit, which is going to have a lot of kids' activities attached to it this summer? Yes, well, you're right, Joanna. We've got an awful lot going on this summer. It'll be the first time that the Tower of David Museum has three temporary exhibitions happening all at the same time, and they're all included in the original uh, uh, in the admission price to the museum. So in July, we have opening up Rock, Paper, Scissors. It is an Armenian artist who has come via Holland to create the figures of Jerusalem from King Solomon and King David out of aluminium paper. And uh, these are wonderful paper sculptures. He's uh, um, a leader in his field of paper art. 
and uh, we will be running throughout the summer also all sorts of children's activities that go along with this wonderful exhibition so you can see his figures spread throughout the Tower of David um, and it's an exciting exhibition we're looking forward to that opening on July 8th. And I know that people that uh, many of the tourists love going to the Tower of David children's activities because they're very interactive and uh, at the end you, you can go up to the uh, the Tatspeet, the lookout point, and take a beautiful selfie up there with the city of Jerusalem behind you. Um, and I think we just need to mention also, although we did a whole show on it in the past, that you have two great shows at night because people are always looking for night activities, especially in Jerusalem where it's nice and warm but not too hot at night. Um, what, what can people expect when they come to the night spectacular or the new King David show? Yes, well, as you said, we've got two wonderful sound and light shows. They take place within the walls of the ancient citadel so your backdrop your film your screen is in fact these walls that have marked the history um, of the city over thousands of years Uh, and we can uh, see in the night spectacular it's the story of jerusalem that comes to life three thousand years out in front of you Um, you're taken through with film and music Uh, and uh, fantastic cinematography. King David is the new night show that's uh, just started and that really looks at the story of King David bringing to life his uh, famous story of shepherd to king um, using also images of uh, pictures from history of art from the great artists uh, of the ages. So they're two great shows. Um, I have to say that they are uh, book in advance because the tickets get sold out and then people get very disappointed that they can't. So if you're thinking of doing it, look online. All the times are there. They're shown. Each one is shown uh, at least once a night uh, uh, throughout the week. So uh, do check online on our website, which is... Or, or, you can check yeah. on your website, sure. Exactly. www.tod.org.il. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I know, Joanna, that you have it all on Fun in Jerusalem and you're updated all the time. Yes. And if anybody wants to reach um, Caroline or the box office with a specific question, you can send it to tower at funinjerusalem.com. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for sitting with us. Now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna. And thank you, Caroline. Again, Caroline Shapiro is the... Uh, works PR at the Tower of David, a really cool, um, fun option this summer for those of you looking uh have some time to do an activity, have some time to do something this summer. You could always uh, check out the Tower of David, David contact Joanna, Fun in Jerusalem, or funinjerusalem.com for more information. We'll get back to more music here. 10 a.m., it's another interview with Joanna, and then 10.30, an interview um, from Toba Connect. So more music right now, right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Shmo, 
Top of hour number two, and Joanna Shepson's back. She's here to talk with Alain from the Jerusalem Bird Observatory, right here, right now on Bite Size, at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. So I've made it over to the Jerusalem Bird Observatory. Um, many of you may not know exactly where that is, but I'm sitting with Alan, who, Alain, sorry, <laughs> who is the director of the Bird Observatory, and she's going to tell us a little bit of background on where it is and what happens here. Okay, so where it is is actually quite simple. We're next to the Knesset. And we say we're the, probably the most important place in this area. We have the Knesset, the Supreme Court, and us smack in the middle. So it's pretty easy to find. We're a small nature center. Um, and we focus here on researching urban wildlife and migrating birds. So we have ongoing research pro- programs here, which... Um, are you part of the SPNI, the yes. National Parks? So, so we're part, not the National Parks. We're part of the Society for the Protection of Nature in Israel, SPNI, which is different from the National Park System. Um, we're, we're Israel's first urban wildlife site. So we started here 25 years ago. And uh, we're right on the route of migration. So during the spring and fall migrations, we get thousands upon thousands of small songbirds passing right over Jerusalem. They see us in the middle of the city, this nice green area, and they come and they land and spend some time here, eating and drinking and resting. And then they continue on their migration uh, in the spring to to Europe and in the fall to Africa. It's interesting because the area around us is full of desert. And Jerusalem itself is up high on a hill. So if you've got this beautiful green spot high on the hill, that's going to attract the birds. It's totally going to attract the birds, and that's why they're migrating right over the hills here. They're not going over the, the, the desert area. Maybe and they're also coming to, for the spirituality of Jerusalem? You never know. You never know. We, we, we have a few that uh, we think maybe are, so it could be possible. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. You know, when I was a kid, I learned that Jerusalem was the cross, or Israel was the crossroads of the nations. Everybody passed through Israel, going north, south, east, or west. And if you, if you study any civilization in this part of the world, they pass through here. Well, the birds are doing the same. They're, they're crossing from the continent of, of Africa into Asia, into, into Europe, and back and forth all the time. And so we're still very much at the crossroads. And there's probably more bird tourists coming to Israel than tourists. Because <laughs> so, we have about 700 million birds wow. passing through each season. So that's something that I want you to explain to the listeners. How do you know how many birds are passing through? What is the concept of bird ringing? 
So we conduct bird ringing, or, or the Americans might know it as bird banding, where we actually uh, trap the birds for a, for a short while. We put rings on their legs, which are marked with a number, or an ID number, and we release the birds. And hopefully that bird's going to end up somewhere else in the world. So if a ringer in Russia or Sweden or Kenya catches the bird or reads the ring, they'll let us know where they found it. And we can learn where the birds are going to, where they're coming from, how many are passing through, how long it takes them. Is and there a national registry? There or do is, they... There's a national database and a national registry that, that uh, manages the whole process. Um, and we have learned a lot in the... We've been doing this for 25 years. The country's been doing it for almost 100 or over 100. And we can really get a good picture of what is coming through and for the most part, how much. And we, we link this up with data from Europe. So they, know, they do what they call breeding bird counts. They, they count nesting birds. So they have a fairly good idea of what's there. And so when we put the two together, we have a pretty good idea of what's passing through. And what are some of the most interesting birds that you've seen while you've been working here? Well, we, we've seen over 200 species here out of the 530 possible Israeli uh, sightings which is pretty good for an acre and a half of land. Uh, we just had a bird last week called a green warbler. Pretty indistinctive looking green bird, but it was the first time ever seen in Jerusalem and only the eighth time ever seen in the country. Oh wow! So we considered ourselves pretty lucky. We also had a bird pass through a few years ago called an eyebrowed thrush, which was the, it's from Siberia. It shouldn't be in this part of the world at all. And I believe it was the second uh, sighting in Israel ever and definitely the first for Israel. So every, for, for Jerusalem, every now and again we get big surprises. I actually like some of the regulars. I like our local kingfisher who's here, who's just uh, had a bunch of chicks and are flying around. And, uh, and the orioles that pass through in May and the, um, the warblers, we have a huge number of warblers. So everybody's got their favorite. What's the, um, the Israeli bird? So the national bird is the hoopoe. Uh, and you see a lot of them? Are they? We see them here once in a while. They pass through the site, usually coming to the pond. We do, we do ring a couple every year. You more see them around Jerusalem in areas that have lawns because they eat bugs from under the grass. Mm-hmm. They have these long beaks. Um, they're very distinctive birds, and people love to see them. Very cool. So also, I think people who are listening... Are, are starting to understand what takes place here, but let's tell them a little bit more about the special tourist activities and kids' activities, especially coming up this summer. So in the summer, we, we, we try to put on as much as we possible, ca- possibly can for families. We know that people are looking for, for what to do to get outside. So we have a couple great things. Throughout the summer, throughout July and August, we have night hikes. We uh, get together for a couple hours in the evening, talk a little bit about what how animals survive at night, what senses they use, and then we go looking for them. And we have some surprises here. We have porcupines and uh, hedgehogs. You might even see a jackal or two, owls, bats. Nothing to be scared of, though? Nothing to be scared of. I mean, it's, uh, they're all perfectly harmless. But it's fun to go out with our flashlights and to, to look for them and to do something a little unusual. It's also cooler. So, you know, we escape the heat of the day and we can still go outside and have some fun. And that's throughout, uh, 
throughout July and August. So we're, we actually, on Fun in Jerusalem, we're going to list all of those activities. Um, do they take place in English, Hebrew, a mix so of both? Most of them are in Hebrew, but if we know we have English speakers coming, it's when you, if you call to register, so the night hike is only registration in advance because it's so popular. Uh, let us know that you're an English speaker and we will arrange uh, for an English speaking guide or an English speaking group. Okay, great. So you can call the bird observer, the Jerusalem Bird Observatory, or you can email jbo at funinjerusalem.com to request a reservation for one of the night hikes. Um, what about bird ringing? Will that happen during? Bird ringing, it's not every day, but it goes on through the through the um, summer, and you can find that on the schedule as well. And in 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 um, August. After all the summer camps in Israel are over, we have three weeks of intensive activities. There's something for families every morning, every afternoon, and that's also on the website. We have art, we have stuff about birds, we have uh, nature detective walks, you name it, it's there. And we're also running a bunch of workshops for teenagers. Um, nature photography workshop, a sketching workshop, and we also have some, some great science workshops that are supported by the municipality of Jerusalem. They cost 10 shekels each. They're very, wow. <laughs> very, very uh, inexpensive. But you're going to get some great um, hands-on experience doing research in, in, in urban nature. That's fantastic. I know my son would love the uh, nature photography class. I'm going to have to tell him about that. Absolutely. Great. And what do you have planned for the future? Now that it's been 25 years, what, what do you see coming next? So next year is our 25th birthday. So we're going to have a whole year of events, including a big gala celebration and exhibition, and uh, we're, we're busy planning what those events are going to be, so keep, keep uh, ears open for that. Um, and we're also helping the Elat Bird Center to host something called the uh, International Bird Observatories Conference, which will be in Elat next March. And of course, we just keep, keep going and keep uh, helping preserve nature in the city. Such an important thing, especially when you come out here and you see you literally right next to the Knesset, overlooking all of the houses in Nachlaot and Rechavia, and then you have this patch of just nature and greenery. Mm -hmm. So uh, keep up the great work, and uh, if anyone wants to check out what's going on, you can look up Jerusalem Bird Observatory on Fun in Jerusalem, and all of their events will be listed on our calendar as well. So a lot of reasons to come to Jerusalem this summer, um, and uh, we look forward to sharing more. Now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, Alain, from the Jerusalem Bird Observatory. Jo- Joanna at funinjerusalem.com, funinjerusalem.com on Facebook, Instagram. If you are looking for a cool thing to do this summer, you're going to be in Israel for a week, visiting your kids in camp maybe, a little vacation. Fun in Jerusalem. Joanna there is the person you want to contact for a cool idea, cool activity, whatever it is. Or, hey, maybe you've heard about you know, one of these things and you just need more information. Again, funinjerusalem.com, Joanna at funinjerusalem.com. Plenty more coming up here. We'll have more music, and at 10.30, uh, we'll have Tova Connects interview with Laura and David. But, again, for now, more music right here on Bite Size at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Bottom of hour number two. We don't usually say that here because we don't usually have that many interviews. But hey, gotta love it. Bottom of hour number two, and it's time for Tova Connects interview with Laura Ben David coming up right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in the beautiful Ein Yael in Yerushalayim with none other than the very talented Laura Ben David. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Laura, you wear many hats. You are a writer, an Israeli advocate. You're a photographer. Yeah. Um, I want to hear all about you. Okay. Share it with the audience because uh, I think that um, you have a very important story to tell. Okay. Thank you. Um, the truth is, is that becoming a writer was uh, really part of my Aliyah story. Um, when we made Aliyah back in uh, 2002 on the very first Nefesh Benefesh flight, we um, it was something we realized that there was something incredible we were doing, and we wanted to share it with people. And I, I started writing. It was even before blogs. I was writing emails just to make sure people understood what we were seeing, what we were experiencing, what Aliyah was like, what Israel was like, and um, and doing that kind of like eventually segued into um, into photography and being able to really share, you know, that picture worth a, th- a thousand words. Right. You have the most beautiful uh, photographs. Thank you. They get seen by so many people. Share it so much. Every time I turn on my Facebook and I see one of your pictures, <laughs> like it makes my heart melt. Like it makes me smile. Thank oh. you. Thank you so much. Really, it really means a lot. Like, vibrant. You really catch the moment. Um, so you moved. You made Aliyah from Florida. From, yeah. Right. Boca Raton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you moved straight to Gushetzion. Yes. To Nevei Danielle. And that's probably not. It's probably. I mean, it was already 2002. So it wasn't yeah. the most popular time to. It was definitely not. It wasn't the most popular time to move to Israel at all. Um, let alone moving to Gushetzion. Wow. So how did you pick Gushetzion? Yeah. So you know we re- we weren't political at all, and we really were just looking for a good place, a place that was beautiful, a place that had good schools, uh, a place that had good weather, and <laughs> yes. and a good view. So we got all those things in Gush Etzion, and it just fit the bill. Wow, um, definitely different than Yushalayim. Yeah. But you get to come to Yushalayim. But a lot. we're close by. Yeah. You're close by, um, and your family was okay, acclimated. The yeah, we came. Right into it. Yeah, well, you know, it was hard, but um, we had, came with four kids, and of course there was, a, you know, it was a big transition, and we had to learn the language and the culture, and it took a while to get accustomed to, you know, the schooling and everything. But uh, thank God, they they all did great. They're all still here. Right. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So you took your writing to another another level with the yeah. photography now, yeah. and you post, and you are a journalist. Yeah. So I mean, I guess. The, the whole Israel advocate thing, like that's kind of one of the things that um, that drives me. One of the things, uh, I love Israel and I love having the opportunity to share. I see something beautiful, whether it's a sunset or, or not just something beautiful, but something um, meaningful, uh, important, something um, poignant, something that needs sharing. Right. Um, I'm and the same way. Yeah, I know. I know. I really, I feel we are very much kindred spirits in this way. I, do. I see something and I, I, I can't keep it to myself. Yeah. I want to share it with everybody. Yeah. And you know. we have our mediums. This is, you know, you do the Toba in Israel, and it's so awesome and so important. And every time I see the stuff you post, I'm like, wow, we're we're really like the same, <laughs> just doing it in a slightly different angle and different way, but uh, but bringing the same it's important things to the world. Yeah. So thank you for being my inspiration, also. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so. I know that you're writing, but now you want to maybe take it to another level because yeah. I know that you do you do public speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
what's something passionate that you love to speak about? So um, I started really getting involved with public speaking when I started working at um, Shave Israel, which is an organization that works with lost and hidden Jews, um, which would be an entire talk topic in and of itself, but um, suffice to say that there are people um, who, are, um, who are kind of uh, separated from the Jewish community through no fault of their own, and uh, they're really kind of exotic communities. We have people like the B'nai Menashe from India. Um, we just brought um, a whole group of uh, B'nai Menashe um, to Israel this week, um, and I've been with them in India, gone with them on their whole journey on Aliyah, and been with them all over Israel as well, and I photographed them. And I love to speak about them. I love to tell people their story and to um, to give over that um, you know that important uh, story. And and then I started doing uh, you know as I started taking more and more pictures of Israel, I've developed lectures on Israel as well that you know including photographs that literally give people like a tour of the country, but through anecdotes, through stories, um, through experiences, and through seeing Israel through my eyes through my photography. Wow. Okay. So just going back to the B'nai Menashe sure. with uh, Shavi Israel, you know when. You grow up, I guess, you know, you're coming from Florida also. Yeah. Whenever, you know, a Jew, there's a Jewish community, it's very homogeneous. Yeah. And you think that that's how Jews look, and that's it. That's all right. that's out there. And then you move to Israel, and uh, there isn't just, you know, one stripe, right. you know, of uh, Right. We've color. got kibbutz goliot here. It's really amazing when you see Jews of every stripe and color, and yeah. uh, you realize that they're, they're yeah. all over. Well, you know what reminds me of a funny story? I took my daughter, my little daughter, she was maybe six at the time, and I took her with me to um, the absorption center where the B'nai Menashe were. And my daughter, who's a Sabra, she grew up in Israel, has never known anything but that multi-ethnic Jewish right. experience. Like, you know, she sees people and they're, you know, black, white, and everything in between, and they're all Jewish, you know, in, in right. her experience. Yeah. And then we see these B'nai Menashe who are coming from India, and, and um, my daughter says to me she'd never seen anything like it before, a whole bunch of people who are all, you know, a different color. She sees, like, whatever, and she was, it was such a different experience for her, but for them, it's also a different experience right. because they're coming from a place where everyone looks like them. And I was sitting literally a few minutes after I had this conversation with my daughter, I was sitting with a couple of little kids, little B'nai Menashe kids yeah. around the same age. We were taking selfies and they're looking at the phone, looking at the picture and looking at all of our faces. They pointed at my face and they said, Laura, why is your face so white? <laughs> right? It's, it's what you get used to. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in Israel, it's just, we have everybody. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay. So you mentioned that, uh, you're a public speaker, mm -hmm. and you, you do uh, speaking all over. Mm -hmm. um, how can someone get in touch with you? Well, they can um, they can email me very easily, Laura at LauraBenDavid.com. Pretty easy, just my name, Laura yeah. at LauraBenDavid.com. Um, and I I've spoken all over the United States, and just recently I was on um, with a group, uh, a brand new group um, in Poland. We went, it was, yeah. group, it was amazing. A group called um, Amiel Bakila, that's a, a subsidiary of Ortor Stone, and it's funded by the Ministry of the Diaspora of Israel, and they're bringing um, speakers and programs to diaspora communities, small communities that can't afford, let's say, an emissary from you know the Jewish agency or something, and we. We went, you know, so I went and I brought my photography programs and other programs uh, to these small communities in Poland. People don't even know there are communities in Poland, but there are. And it was incredible. It was just an amazing thing to be able to go and meet with people. Everything from like, you know, kindergarten to um, the elderly in a senior center and be able to share my my views of Israel, literally the views for my camera, not just my yeah. personal views, and, um, and and teach them and tell them and explain to them and have them ask you know millions of questions and be able to to give over something that I love so much. Wow. Yeah. I also what um, you mentioned your views and I just wanted to say something. Mm -hmm. um, 
I am very impressed with something that you do online mm -hmm. on your Facebook, on your, you know, uh, in your on your public name. Mm -hmm. So when you see a view that you don't go along with, a lot of times people shy away from, you know, sharing their opposing view, right? Because they're scared they're going to get attacked by it. Or, um, but when you, what I noticed is that when you see something online and I see that same thing, mm -hmm. um, and I so badly want to, you know say something I get very nervous but you come out and you really defend your view and you uh, with facts and you don't you don't get that emotional mm -hmm. uh, you know back and forth you know you just say it like it is and you defend your view and you defend Israel yeah um, it's important to me it's something that I've cultivated in myself and yeah. it's, it, it's not it wasn't automatic I don't know if I always grew up this way although I was always a defender like if something like a bully would like you know try to bully somebody a friend or whatever I would defend them physically don't ask oh, no. but uh, yeah it's all whole <laughs> different stories um, but um, but I, I do care very much about things that are important to me whether it's something about Israel um, I am kind of centrist like I'm very I, I'm, I'm very balanced I like to try to understand a situation as well as I can I read I read things from the right from the left from all over so that I can really really understand the whole story bef yeah right. before I speak up and before I you know and and when I really feel that something is being wrongly portrayed or you know that um, you know something that happened the facts are being you know twisted and turned Scared, yeah yeah which happens all the time and like you know people talk about fake news and whatever and yeah there's that but I think a lot of times it's not even necessarily deliberate but people just don't know they're misinformed um, they, they're you know someone could see the exact same thing and and take from it something something different so I really try to understand things as well as I can and to speak up when it's something that's really important to me and sometimes I do get get okay. it from the trolls or from people who are you know who have opposing views but more often than not people appreciate because I really try to come at it with a respectful in a respectful way right and I think that that's the key and I think that you know and I try to bring that respect you know I see something I see people fighting and arguing and I'm like but guys look it's this or whatever I I say it as clearly as I can as um, respectfully as I can and and hopefully, hopefully make a difference hopefully it'll penetrate and, yeah and they'll see uh, from another side also it's yeah important for people to see all sides and, yeah. and show respect you know yeah and I find that people that when you when they hear it from coming from respect place even if they completely disagree it usually calms things and you don't have that whole back and forth and people like you know just lashing each other you know right so okay so very important question yeah so you moved to Israel a while ago when mm -hmm. when people would say Israel didn't have all the amenities that it has now mm -hmm. and now Israel really you know has everything uh -huh. you know you can find everything that you need here but people still are nervous to move yeah. You know, what is your advice to get people over that hump and realize this is the place to live? Or what's your, now they are moving, what's your advice to them? So it's interesting to ask me that. So first of all, to get them to realize this is the place to live, this is the place to live. <laughs> So that's that, it. That's it. That is it. That is in a nutshell. This is the place to live. When so I worked for Nefesh Benefesh for a long time, and I worked with people North Americans who were making Aliyah, and I was a North American making Aliyah, and I came with my forty-foot lift and all of everything, you know, Costco packed in and everything, you know, tuna fish and paper towels, whatever stupid things we we felt we could not possibly make Aliyah without because they probably don't have the same, you know, paper towel, which they don't, but they. Have you, paper you get, towel. You get used to it. You get used to everything. But then I started working with like B'nai Menashe and like I went with, I went to India, was with a group and uh, I had the most fascinating experience. It was that maybe six or eight months after I'd stopped working in Nefesh Benefesh. I'm in India, it's Shabbos and I'm kind of sitting on the side and I'm watching there's some event happening and all of a sudden they said, oh Laura, you're here from Israel, can you come and speak? 
now on the spot, <laughs> spur of the moment with no plan, no forethought. And I'm sitting there thinking there's like a hundred of them. And I'm like, okay, what can I say on the spot without making any preparation whatsoever? I didn't know the Parsha. So I said, okay, um, I'll do, you know, the Aliyah pitch. I've been doing that for years with Nefesh Benefesh. It's so natural for me. And I get up and I'm, as I'm like, literally in the 10 seconds, as I'm walking up the stage, it's going through my head. I'm thinking, I'm standing in front of a hundred B'nai Menashe who every single one of them would get on the plane and make Aliyah tomorrow if they could, right. which they can't because there's like a quota system and they're, you know, they're not coming from North America. They can't just freely come and make Aliyah and whenever they want. And wow. they, Yeah. And I'm thinking, how can I stand up there and make an Aliyah pitch to a bunch of people who every one of them would make Aliyah They're tomorrow. They're desperate too. Yeah, and I'm wow. thinking, wow, I should take the people, the Bnei Menashe to North America and let them talk. I mean, they come when they make Aliyah, they bring what they can pack in their suitcases, and that's it. Right. And they start their life, and they've never been to Israel, and they don't do a pilot trip, and they right. they just make it work. They just have trust. Yeah. They believe. They have trust, they believe, they said, you know, this is where we're supposed to be. We've been waiting for, you know, however many thousand, two thousand years, and now we, we can come back, and we should come back, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that is like, you it's know. It's eye-opening. It's really eye-opening to look at that. It's yeah. like, wow, we are so spoiled. I, <laughs> Where's my paper towels? Where are my tuna Where fish? Where are my zip Right? I and it's like, who cares? You have Israel. Make it work. Figure it out. Get a different brand, you know? We could <laughs> yes. all make it work if we just yeah. were willing. So. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. So on that, where? what would you call your Israel happy place? From <sighs> everywhere in Israel. Any, anywhere there's a view. Uh, Anywhere there's a view, I go. I try to have my camera with me at all times. I make sure to have a phone with a really good camera for when, the, when I don't have it. I told you to bring your camera here. I, I did. Gonna, and, I have and, it. And you're like, of course I'm going. Yeah. To. <laughs> I was like, what are you telling me? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just I just love Israel. I love getting in my car and driving wherever and and seeing something new, seeing a different sunset, seeing a different. I mean, really, I can just go on my porch, and that's my happy place. I mean, yeah, your Arab Shabbos picture. My Arab Shabbos picture, yeah, exactly. And it's always different. It doesn't matter. Always. It's always different. Wow. So, yeah, I just love it. Incredible. Well, I wish you continued success with your public speaking, with your photography. Amen. Thank you. Uh, with B'nai Menashet, and uh, thank you for Amen. sitting down with me. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was great. Amazing. Back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Laura ben David, to contact Tova, find her on Facebook, Tova in Israel, Instagram, Tova in Israel, or TovaInIsrael.com. If you uh, have some good ideas for her to interview, maybe you know someone in Israel and you're like, hey, Tova could do a great job talking to her, talking to him, whoever it is. Or if you're just looking for great Israel content, TovaInIsrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook. More music coming up, and then we wrap things up. And then it's Avrami's live lunch coming up at 11 p.m. But 11 a.m. Excuse me. Whew. But for now, more music right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Anna Melech, 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 An
מתפללים ומחכים למשיח רק יגיע קשת כולנו חברים כולנו מתפללים ומחכים למשיח כבר רוצה להגיע מחכה לחברים
Just about wrap things up here on Bite Size. Decided we, we had a lot of talking. Figured we'd get as much music in as possible. So no segment that has no name today. But we'll certainly try to have one for the last episode of the season next week. But uh, but yeah, hope you enjoyed the three interviews this week. The great music. And it's time right now. Just got to send it over right now to a Rummy's Live Lunch. Coming up in just a few seconds. Thank you all for tuning in. My name is Yoni Pollock. I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the bite size is always, always, always the right size.